The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We're going to be transitioning now from uh, the series that we looked at on generosity into the series that we're going to look over the four weeks of Advent. Uh, Advent is that coming of Jesus Christ. It is the Advent, the introduction of God to the world in the person of Jesus Christ, that he incarnated, that he took on flesh uh, and dwelt uh, among us. And there are different symbols that we look at, the Advent wreath uh, with the different colored candles. Uh, This week you'll see the purple candle is the candle of hope, or of prophecy, that God was fulfilling his prophecies to his people. Uh, And then each week you'll see that lit until on Christmas Eve, the white candle, which is the Christ candle, is lit. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to gather together for a time of remembrance and of celebration, of breaking uh, bread around the communion table uh, together uh, and celebrating the true meaning uh, of Christmas. So we hope that you'll come and, and make that a part of your tradition, your family tradition of coming and celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper uh, as you prepare for Christmas Day. It helps bring everything into perspective. But one of the best parts of Christmas, obviously, is the singing. And you guys did a great job today, uh, singing some of those carols and hymns of, of the Christmas season. And, and I'm not talking about the jingle bells and the deck the halls, uh, which are fun songs to sing. But singing the, the hymns and the songs which really drive us back to a deeper and more profound understanding of what took place in the world. What took place when Jesus Christ came, when God, who was before time and without beginning, came and had, as it were, a beginning in coming into the world, that he was born there into the family of Joseph and of Mary, and that it forever changed humanity. That, that you have to respond to it one way or the other. You can respond by saying, I fully believe and I'm captured by it. Or you can respond by saying, I like it. It gives me some warm, sentimental feelings uh, and I enjoy the season. Or you reject it altogether. And you, but you have to have a response. And the responses that we're going to look at over these four weeks are how within the scriptures, especially the New Testament, people responded in singing. They responded in song. And this week we're going to look at Mary, the young teenage girl who came and was encountered by the Holy Spirit, was encountered by God in this unbelievably magnificent way, and she was forever changed. And her first response was that of a song, of responding to God. It's called the Magnificant, or or the Song of Mary. And then next week we're going to look at old Simeon, the man who waited so faithfully uh, for God to fulfill his promise of seeing uh, the Messiah, seeing Emmanuel come. And once he had held Jesus in his hands, oh, you can just imagine what it was like. And he said, oh, now your servant can go in peace, for I have seen my God. I've seen the fulfillment of all of the years. I've seen the fulfillment of my longing. And now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my faith has become sight. And I can close my eyes and know that everything is well within the world. And he sang. And the angels who had been around Jesus from all eternity, they'd been there and they'd seen him. And then all of a sudden, when this king of kings was coming into the world, they wanted to make sure that the world properly greeted him. This isn't just any child. They said, this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. 
weightiness, glory, meaning, and significance are given to his name, and they burst forth in song in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then finally, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about our song, the song of the redeemed. Those of us who have experienced the first advent, we've seen Christ has come and he has captivated our lives and he's taken a hold of us. Now we're waiting expectantly for his coming again one day. We don't know when, but we're in this time of tension, of waiting. And how is it that we respond? And how is it that we should sing to him? So those are going to be over the next four weeks. We're going to integrate into this some of the songs that we believe are pertinent uh, to what we're saying. It won't be the full, uh, you know, amount of songs that we could sing. We'll do a lot more of those on that uh, on Christmas song. Uh, excuse me, getting tongue-tied. Uh, on the hymn sing on the 15th, I believe, is the night, right? Um, Sunday night, the 15th. So we invite you to come uh, to that as well and just enjoy a fun evening together then. But tonight, or this morning, we're going to look at Mary's song, the Magnificat, and we're going to see how this incredible young woman responded to the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 46. Actually, I'm going to back up, and it's probably not on the screen, uh, but I'm going to back up to verse 26. Uh, And then read, and then we'll pick up there at verse 46. This is God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee and named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Picking up in verse 46. This is Mary in response to Elizabeth, her family member, who was giving birth to John the Baptist. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. ever noticed when you sing some of the Christmas hymns and the songs that they move you, deeply and profoundly move you? Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. This sense of recognizing that the absolute power of God has come and Jesus is going to reign. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and set thy people free. That in the midst of that you're moved and your heart is, is shaken at some level within you and you can't even begin to hold back tears or emotions or some movement of your thoughts inside and your affections inside of you. But you look to your right or to your left and you see others who are singing with no sense of emotion. Maybe a gloss of sentimentality. Maybe a wash of some little nostalgic remembrance of singing it as a child. But nothing deep within moving them. What's the difference What's the difference between the person who can sing these incredible songs, which focus on these incredible truths, profound and earth-shaking truths uh, about God coming and taking on human form and penetrating out of time into time itself and forever changing history and humanity. And some can sing of it and then move right on as if they've done nothing at all. But you stand there and you're overwhelmed and impacted by it. Well, I think if you stand and you're impacted by it, you relate with Mary very well. For the first thing that we see uh, about Mary is this sense that Mary understood uh, that the Christmas message, that the story uh, and message of Jesus Christ coming into the world changes you. It changes you. It has to. She understood, and as some would say, she's the very first Christian. She's not the first believer. Obviously, in the Old Testament, those who believed in the coming Messiah were saved by faith in the coming of Messiah. But in this sense, she was the very first one who, because of the incarnation, was changed forever. For she says there uh, in the beginning of verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My very being has been transformed. My soul, my spirit, my very life, everything in me has been turned upside down. I have been turned inside out. Earlier today, even a moment ago, I was just a young girl living my life, betrothed to this man, Joseph, who she may or may not have loved because it was an arranged marriage between families uh, within Galilee and Nazareth, and she knew her place. She knew that she was a young girl to be given uh, to Joseph and to carry on the line and the lineage of his forefather, David. 
And she thought it would just be life as a carpenter's wife, raising a few children, having a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah, having those times of taking them to synagogue, having the times and celebrations of weddings and maybe of grandchildren to come. But then Gabriel shows up and he says, blessed are you among women. And I can only imagine the combination of fear and terror and of astonishment, kind of like, you, you mean me? Looking around, thinking that there was some matriarch from the town, somebody who was a better religious person than her, somebody of more stature uh, in the world. And she, though, said, me? And Gabriel said, blessed are you among women, for from you your salvation will come, and God will descend upon you. Now some think, they wonder how this all took place. But the language that's used in this first chapter of Luke is Old Testament language. It's language of the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God, as it descended upon the sacrifice, as it descended upon the tabernacle, as it then descended within the temple. And if you remember the images in the Old Testament of how God descended upon those places, it was with incredible power. And the people around were amazed at the presence of God. And Mary would have known that language. And when he said that the very God of gods, that the King Almighty, that Yahweh himself is going to descend upon you. Mary knew this. I know that a priest goes in every year into the Holy of Holies. And they tie a rope around his waist just in case he is consumed by the presence of a descending God, an all-consuming fire, and that they would pull him out because he would be dead in the presence of this God. And she realized that instead of her making some decision upon Christ, some decision upon God, thinking that maybe she was choosing a new moral code, Maybe she was choosing a new philosophy. Maybe she was choosing a way to change her life for the better forever, to make her new marriage best as it could possibly be, to enjoy a better marriage. Of course she didn't. She realized that she in no way, shape, or form was descending upon God, that she wasn't choosing God in that way. But the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was descending upon her, and because of it, she was going to be forever changed. Folks, that's at the heart of the Christmas message. That the message of Christmas comes upon you, you don't come upon it. That the heart of the message of Christmas is that it is God descending upon you. And when you consider the things that are taking place, the only reasonable response is the similar response uh, of Mary. You can also go back and she looked back and she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And her response In verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to thy word. And then after she spent some time with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth surprised her with her thoughts and her sayings, that Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women. You can imagine her going, what are you talking about? I'm your relative. You remember me. I'm just Mary. She says, oh, you don't understand. Within me, is the prophet spoken of in the Old Testament. And he leapt 
in the presence of his king. I'm honored to be in front of you. And Mary had to be totally astounded by all of this. For she realized that her world had been wrecked forever. It had been changed. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So to begin with this week, I want to ask the question, has your soul and your spirit been overwhelmed by the descending presence of the King of Kings or is just just another holiday season to celebrate with family and friends? One will get you through. It's fun and it's exciting and you get to shop and you get some deals and you save a little bit of money and you cook some food that you don't get to cook and you decorate some cookies and you bring out the tree and you have friends around and there's nostalgia and there's warmth and there's all of these things, but you're not changed by it. You're never changed by those things. You're affected by them, but not transformed. If you want this Christmas to be different, then ask the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to descend upon you, to absolutely overwhelm you for maybe the first time in your life. And that's what she said. She goes, my soul and my spirit within me magnify the Lord for an incredibly important word. Three simple letters, but incredibly important. Because is what she's saying. I I am so overwhelmed because when I look at the Lord, my Savior, I realize several things about him. And we're going to look at these things, these attributes, these parts of her song, which should be a part of our songs. That as we sing these songs in this season, that we have to remember these reasons. That when we sing, we realize three things. We see that God is mighty, that he is holy, And that he's merciful. That he's mighty, that he's holy, and that he's merciful. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength or might with his arm. And he's scattered and it goes on through. And she realizes that part of what she focused on in this, and her song was focusing on what we would call the attributes of God. She was focusing on the characteristics and the nature of God. And that's a challenge for us this year. I hope that as you enter into the season that you will take time to consider the attributes of your God. Take time to consider for a moment his power and his might. For she said, I will worship him and my soul is forever changed. And he is my savior because of his might, his strength within us. For you see, she had a really good question for Gabriel, didn't she? Gabriel, I'm a simple girl. And I may not know everything, but I do know of the birds and the bees. And I know that I have kept myself pure. And I know that I have not been with a man. So how is it that I am going to give birth to the Savior of the world? 
I don't know much, but I know this. That seems impossible to me. And God said, you've got to remember my strength. You have to remember my might. You have to remember my power. That I'm the God who loves to do impossible things. I'm the God who looks into what seems impossible in your world and I make it absolutely possible and I do it simply with my presence or my word or the movement of my spirit. And so what she understood was very quickly that this God was an incredible, mighty, powerful God. He was the King and the Lord of hosts. This picture of the hosts of heaven, that he had them at his beck and call, and that he could, could mobilize them in a moment's notice. And he could do whatever it is that he determined to do because he was God. And it's as if she was saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I know that you're all powerful, but God, I understand that cognitively. I get it intellectually, but to work it out in my day-to-day life, I need you to remind me of that. And many of us, many of you are at that same place. You would say, I believe in an all-powerful God. I believe that God can do whatever it is that he wants to do because he's all-powerful. But moment by moment, day by day, do you live that way? Do your thoughts betray you? Do your emotions betray you? Or do you, like Mary, say, God, how are you going to do this? Two plus two in my world seem to equal four. And what I see is that a bad diagnosis leads to this and leads to despondency. What I see is that a loss over here leads to a loss over here. What I see here uh, isn't, isn't making sense to me. Part of your song and part of the Advent song. And the message of Christmas comes in and it reminds us that God is all-powerful. He has all the might in the world and in the universe. And he is turning that for good towards you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's any barrier in your life that God cannot overcome? Or do you believe that God is all-powerful and can amaze you with the answers to your prayers? I hope you're in the second camp. That God can turn what the world would see as a negative into something that is absolutely amazing in your midst. Most of you would intellectually say, oh, I believe God's all-powerful. But you live uh, uh, and you've emasculated him. And you've made him impotent instead of omnipotent. God is saying to you today, I can do all things. And I have done all things through Christ. And guess where that Christ lives and resides now? In you. Therefore, now I, the believer, can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can overcome that besetting sin. You can overcome that pattern. Your marriage can overcome the wounds of the past, the things that have happened in your family, the estranged family members who you wish so desperately to see over Christmas, those children of yours who you so desperately want to believe in this coming Savior, God, in a moment can change their life. Do you believe that? Do you? Then live like you do, is what Mary's song is saying to you. I'm the Lord's servant, and if you can overcome this, and me not being with a man, and somehow me having a baby, you got it, you got it God. Think of your own life. Think about how many people look at you and go, wow, there's no way 
that I can reasonably explain how you got to where you are, spiritually speaking, unless for an all-powerful God who intervened and changed your dead heart. He took a heart of stone and he made it into a heart of flesh. And he took a heart that would call out against him every day and every moment to a heart that would cry out after him and desire him more than any other desiring in the world. That's the omnipotent power of a God who says, I am mighty to save. But she didn't stop there. She said, God, I understand that you're a God who is able to save, that you are mighty and you have done great things for me. And holy is his name. The very next thing that she did was she moved and she went, oh no, there is this incredible God who is all-powerful. And that's wonderful to know, but he's also perfectly holy. And holiness means set apart or, or fully opposed to sin uh, in that sense. And so she realized this about her God. She realized how absolutely far her God was willing to go to save her and all of his people. She realized that this omnipotent, all-powerful God had to come and was so willing to stretch out his hand to a fallen people who had no substance, who had no standing, who had no place in the world. And he was willing to traverse all the way from eternity to become, as one writer put it, think about it, just think about it for a moment. Jesus Christ, at one point, was a single cell. He took up residency in the womb of a little girl in the ancient Near East with none of the medical attention that we could give today, none of that, the vulnerability of our God and the willingness for him to come and to be exposed to the very creation that he made, to the very effects of all of the fall But he came that far in because he realized the only way for me as an omnipotent, holy God to have a people is for me to cleanse them myself. And the only way for me to come and to make them right and to do is to come up and take on humanity myself. And I'm going to send the most precious thing that I have in the Son, my very Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to take on flesh and to live and to dwell among them and to experience everything that they've experienced, yet to do it without sin, to do it perfectly to be tempted just as any man has been tempted, but yet never to sin in the midst of it, so that he then could come and present himself on a cross. You can never understand the Advent season. You can never understand the coming of Jesus unless you understand Calvary. One will only lead to a sappy sentimentalism. Isn't it great Jesus came? Isn't it wonderful? But do you know why Jesus came? He came because you can't be saved any other way. Your sin is so bad, your heart is so dark, your wounds are so deep, your scars so mortal that the only way for him to come was to come and save you like this, to die on your behalf. So this little girl, this early adolescent girl, realized that this all-powerful God who could do anything that he wanted to do and who is perfectly holy, and he could wipe out all of humanity if he wanted to because of the sins of the people. Yet he determined to come in the person, in the purity, and the holiness of Jesus Christ so that he could save them from their sins. Maybe it changes the way you sing. Ah, But then there's the final point, which has to be included in your understanding of the songs that we sing at Christmas. 
You need to know his might and his power, that he's power. He's omnipotent in those things. You need to know his holiness and his perfection, that he can't stand sin. And that he doesn't take lightly the things that we take lightly. I think about even how simply this week I determined in my mind to do what I knew was wrong with absolute disregard for what I knew was right. Because I didn't take seriously his holiness. I was flippant in that. Mary would have stopped there and gone, Bill, let me remind you of something. He could, with good cause, wipe you out right now. But the third characteristic that you need to know about him that she sang about was he's a merciful God. That he shows mercy. He didn't have to, but he decided to. Look at verse 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy, this beautiful picture that God is the mighty one, he's the holy one, but he's also the merciful one. That the mercy of God is absolutely necessary to understand anything else. This table is not available without the mercy of God. Mercy has sometimes been said to be not getting what you deserve to get. Grace is said to be getting what you don't deserve to get. So this merciful God who looked down and he said to us, I'm going to relent on you. I am going to pay for your debt to me in a different way. It's still going to be paid. I still have to, I have to appease my justice. I have to appease my holiness. And therefore, someone has to pay. But the person that I'm going to make pay is this little child who's being born in the womb of this little girl. And he is going to pay for your sin fully because that's the kind of God I am. I am merciful in my very nature and character. And this Advent season brings all of those things around us. It it mixes them all together for us. And I hope that you'll contemplate just a little bit more this season. As you sing the songs that we sing. During communion today, Leah is going to sing, O sacred head now wounded. One of the most haunting and powerful hymns ever written. That that sacred, beautiful head of that little child that was born perfectly into the world and lived without sin had to be wounded so that you never would. He had to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted so that you never would. God showed incredible mercy to us in Christ Jesus. So the question is, will you receive him? And will you sing as if you believe these things? Let me read the last part of Mary's song, and I'm not going to touch on it much other than to say it should hearken you forward to Matthew when this little boy now was a man, and he sat on the mount, and he taught the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, and it sounded an awful lot like his mother's words there. She said, he has shown strength with his arm. 
He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What he's saying there. What she's saying there is this. This table and this season of life cannot be received by the proud. For a proud person says that they don't need him. A proud person would never acknowledge their need of mercy. Therefore, why would you need Jesus? A proud person would think they're righteous enough to obey the law fully. Uh, one, One pastor put it this way. He said, the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. And what he meant by this is live your religiously righteous life. And in your proud estimation of yourself that you think that you have it all right, you basically are saying, I don't need a savior. I've done well enough on my own. The proud have no need for a table like this. He says those who have lots of food, whose stomachs and appetites are satisfied within this world, they don't have a need for this table. They don't have a need for this savior. So be careful If your appetites are satisfied in this world, if you think that this world has given you everything that you need, be careful in that. Because what it does is it diminishes your appetite for the real food, the only food that will give you life. We joke, and you can think about your own home, the big meal on Thanksgiving. What do you want to do the morning of Thanksgiving? You basically want to starve yourself so that you can truly enjoy that meal and, and just come and bask in it. But instead, you nibble a little bit. You just can't say into the boat of the breakfast casserole or the carbs or the sugar cinnamon rolls. And just a little taste here and a little taste there. And so finally, when the meal is set and the table and the banquet feast is set before you, you're already full and you're satisfied and you miss out on the main dish. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Be careful not to be filled with the things that only tease the appetite but never fully satisfy them. Come and dine on the real table. And then he ties back into what we've been talking about in the weeks before. He says, be careful to the wealthy for those who have everything in the world. For those who have enough money to buy whatever they think that they need, be careful for those are the ones who don't get it because they think that if they can't buy it or they can't earn it, it's not worth having. Jesus turns it all up on its head. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. So today, I make this invitation to you. Are you satisfied with this world? If you're not, then come and be satisfied with the king of this world, the savior of this world. And come to this table and in it see all the beauty that's pictured herein. You can see God's power. Because guess what this table represents? That the all-powerful God rose from the dead and everybody in the world said, I can't believe in a God, who, in, in a person who would raise from the dead. You can't be raised from the dead. And neither can a virgin give birth to a child. But if you believe in an omnipotent, all-powerful God, then he can do more than you could believe or imagine. And this table represents that power to overcome sin and destroy, even to a taunting, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, death, where's your power? For the power of death is in the law, but our overcame. 
death and the law. And you see in this table his holiness. For somebody had to die for sin. And you see in this table mercy. That Jesus died for you. So that you'd never have to die. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. Know that he set you free today. Let's sing and pray together. Father, thank you for the glory of all of this story. Every chapter of all 66 books, every sunrise and moonrise that comes and tells us the story of our God, would we come and be awestruck around this table and around this season? And would we sing songs that truly have meaning because we think and we focus and we purpose to know your power that can overcome even the grave itself, that we know that you are a God who is all strength and a holy God who can't stand our sins. So Christ had to come. He had to enter into this world. He had to suffer so that we could have life and your mercy which drips from this table. Would we bask in it and let it roll over us today and shower upon us in a way that it saturates even to our very souls. That we would say with Mary, my soul celebrates, my spirit rejoices in my God and my Savior. To Christ be the glory. Amen.